So you may have um, realised David is away this weekend in, in Chester, actually, this time. So um, just thank God that he has um, he's given me a word to share for his people this morning. Um, so I just look forward to look forward to seeing what he wants to do. Um, perhaps if we could start in Psalm 31. out with Sarah actually on Friday Um, we had a doctor's appointment but we had to get out of school a wee bit earlier than that um, as we had a few important things to attend to at Ballydugan isn't that right Sarah so as we were sitting I looked over and I saw a lady walking towards me and I thought I know that lady and as she came closer I realized who it was it was a a lovely patient that I used to uh, treat in Armstrong's and she came over to me and I got up and hadn't seen her in so long but she was one of those really she was really special and so we hugged each other and I asked her how she'd been doing and she's been going through a real trial this past couple of years it's probably a couple of years since I'd seen her she's been going through a real trial Lots of really difficult things happening. Suffering. She's going through suffering. You know what she said to me? She said, Linda, it's in those tough times you can really trust the Lord. And I just thought, thank you, Lord. That's the, that was what I'm speaking on on Sunday. So she said to me, in tough times you can really trust the Lord. That's when you can really trust him. So the title of today's message is But I trust in you, Lord. My times are in your hands. My times are in your hands. So I'm just going to read a wee bit from Psalm 31. Psalm 31 is a psalm of David. It was written whenever he was going through a really tough time. He was believed that this was when he was in Gath. Being pursued really in danger of his life. And you get a picture of his despair as you hear him crying out to God, just from, from verse 1. He says, In you, Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep me free from the trap that's set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. Going on down to verse 9. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I'm in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. 
My strength fails because of my affliction. My bones grow weak because of all my enemies and the utter contempt of my neighbours, an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I'm forgotten as though I were dead. I've become like broken pottery. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God and my times are in your hands. But I trust in you, Lord. You are my God and my times are in your hands. I love that. So in the Bible, the word trust means to set your hope or confidence upon someone. To set your hope or confidence upon someone. And you could expand that. It says to throw yourself or your cares upon someone. So continuing this theme of suffering. I'm going to look at a few different aspects of trusting the Lord in hard times. Trusting him in suffering. And as David had said in previous weeks. Suffering encompasses many different things. There's many different types of suffering. So to properly trust, there is a sense of not holding back. There's a sense of leaning on, of throwing your whole self upon someone. You think of the trust falls that um, I'm sure all of us have done at some point or another. Some of us are better at them than others. But it's to let yourself go and let yourself be caught. So with, with a trust, as you trust someone or something there are expectations so with trust comes expectations and that's the first thing I want you to note with trust comes expectations you know David's away this weekend at Chester and I'm sort of I trust him (laughs) and my expectation is that uh, he's not away to have a wild weekend is that he I hope not (laughs) no I do trust him Um, but I expect him to be faithful so with a trust comes expectations um, I, I saw you can even get a, a deodorant called trust eight pounds <laughs> it's eight pounds 25 in boots and apparently apparently well as you would expect with trust there's expectations as you would expect it keeps you very very dry apparently for about three days so you wouldn't even need to have a shower. Um, so with a trust, there are expectations. And something about real trust. With real trust, if you're really trusting God, you can trust him with the outcome of your suffering. You can trust him with the outcome of whatever it is that you're going through. If we could just go over to Daniel 3. Please. this is quite a well-known passage. 
at Daniel's, um, Daniel's friends, if you see at the end of chapter 2, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had been promoted and they'd been made to be ministers over the province of Babylon. So they'd become quite important. And Daniel himself remained at the royal court. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. So starting at chapter 3 there, he had made an image of gold. 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide. It was huge. He'd made this huge image and set it up in Babylon. He had summoned all the officials, the governors, the advisors to come and to dedicate this image he had set up. And basically what he had done was made this pronouncement that whoever did not fall down and worship this image which he had put up when, this mu- when the music started, um, whoever did not fall down and worship would immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So of course Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego could not do that. Verse 8, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued this decree. Verse 12, But there are some Jews who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, and they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was raging says in the next verse, furious with rage, he summoned them. He brought them. And he said to them, is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I've set up? Then down to verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God who we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. What I want you to see is that they trusted God with the outcome. It says we... This God that we serve is able to deliver us from the blazing furnace. And the correct, if you go back to the Aramaic here, it actually reads, the God that we serve is able to deliver us from the blazing furnace and from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. See, real trust, trust God with the outcome. You know, you do hear people say, and probably we've all said it, I'm trusting God to do this. I'm trusting God for this. But you know what? That's not trusting God. That's being God. Real trust trusts him no matter what. No matter what, Lord. No matter what happens. No matter what the outcome of this struggle is. I still trust you and I still love you and you're still my God and I trust you to be God. And that is real trust. Can I encourage you to stop trying to work everything out? 
I am guilty of this. I do this a lot. Proverbs 3, that famous passage, Proverbs 3, verse 5. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In other words, stop trying to work it all out. Trust him with the stuff that you can't understand. I know that even when something good has happened, I have this tendency to work out what God was doing in it. Oh, oh, that's what God was doing in that. That's why he did that. And, you know, it's okay to crave wisdom. In the context of Proverbs 3, 5, this is a passage about wisdom. And it says, you know, wisdom is something to be sought after and ask God for wisdom and understanding. That is the context of Proverbs 3, and that is good. But even no matter how wise you are, you, don't, you will never be able to work everything out. And I want to encourage you to trust him, even with the stuff that you can't understand. And stop trying to work it all out. You don't need to. He's God. Trust him to be God. The next thing about trust that I'd love you to really take on board is decide beforehand to trust. Decide beforehand. Prepare now. How many of us got caught out for not being prepared with the snow days? You know, there's a couple of days we didn't have much milk in the fridge and um, we, were, we were thinking if only we'd known that this was going to be as bad, we would have had more milk, we would have had bread in the house. Um, so I want you to, to take this on board. Decide now, beforehand, even if things are good right now, decide now to trust. Prepare now to trust. It's like building foundations. The foundations of a building are the most important structural part of it. We need to look at what our foundations are like. About 15 years ago in our house, we had Bible studies and we had a lot of young people who, who were preparing to start university. And I remember often David would have been speaking or preaching and he would have said, look, your life's good now. Now is the time to get ready. Get ready for the trial. Get ready for when tough times come. Get your roots down. How do you do that? How do you do that? My prayer for each of you and for my children is that you will treasure, treasure God's word. Not that you'll read it, that you'll treasure it. See, there's something about God's word that makes us strong, that gets us through tough times. If we really treasure God's word, we will have a strong core. Uh, we will develop a root system that goes down deep. And we will have strong foundations to enable us to withstand anything. So that's probably one of the most important prayers at the moment for my kids and for each of you, that you will truly treasure his word. That is an extremely important prayer. Now, this is important, what I'm going to share. Uh, it's about the reading of God's word. And maybe just flick over to Hebrews, Hebrews 4.
So in Hebrews 3, towards the end of Hebrews 3, it's really a warning. It's a warning against unbelief. And we read about how God's people weren't able to enter into the promised land because of unbelief. And it says there, just at the end of chapter 3 there, we see they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. They missed out on something huge, something significant because of unbelief. And if we go on to to chapter 4 there, it's about this thing called the Sabbath rest of the people of God. We don't really need to go into that today, what exactly that, that is. But verse 11, I think it's enough to say that there is something that we can miss out on if we treat God's word lightly. So it says in in verse 11, let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. So no one does what the, the people of God did who missed out on coming into the promised land. Make every effort. Don't follow their example. They missed out on something because of unbelief. Leading on to verse 12. For the word of God, the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than, every, than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God, it's alive and it's active. If you expose yourself to the word of God, it will be active in you, in your life. I looked up that word active in the Greek. It's energies, energy, that energy of God working in you, active in you. If we approach the word of God in the right way, with expectancy, with attentiveness, in belief, in faith, believing in him to, to work in you, the word of God will do something deep in you. You know, we forget what we have. We forget what we have. I had this memory of my my brother coming into my house a couple of years ago. And in my house, there's always bits of pottery sitting about and in various stages of drying. And I had this, he came in one, one day to visit and I had this cake stand that had been drying out for a couple of days. Now, these things are so fragile and I probably shouldn't have had it sitting about. Um, but it was sitting on the bench, and my brother came in. And this thing is quite big. I've spent hours working on it. It's been drying out for days, and it's at this stage where it's really, really fragile because it hasn't been in the kiln. And my brother comes in, and he says, oh, he grabbed it, lifted it up. Sis, you've been making. And my heart was just in my mouth. I couldn't even say anything. I just froze. And uh, he lifted it up, turned it round, and set it down. He didn't realise what he had in his hands. And I think the Lord would have us to, would remind us this morning of what we have, of what we have. We can be casual 
and careless with the word of God. And I think he wants us to, to look at it in a different way. You know, this past few days, and I've just been captivated, captivated by videos of believers receiving Bibles for the first time. There's a video, you can, you can look it up on YouTube. And as I watch this, I weep. The tears just roll down my face. These believers in China receiving their very own Bible for the very first time. And they hold it and they hug it and they cherish it and they kiss it. And it means so much to them. It's so precious to them. And it's so moving to see and it's challenging to see. We don't realise what we have. And I watched a tribe, uh, an Indonesian tribe, and some of you might have seen this video. An Indian, Indonesian tribe who were just receiving the word of God for the first time in their language. And they've gathered, there's an, a little mini airplane coming to, uh, to deliver this consignment of Bibles. And they've gathered and they're weeping. They're weeping. It's a significant day for them, for their tribe, for their land. And they receive the word of God. And it shows the, the Bibles being placed into one of the official's hands. And he holds, he holds these Bibles in a white package. And he, he trembles as he's holding them. And it's such a significant moment. This is the moment, Lord, that you have given your word into our hands, he says. And the stillness in, all around him, the weeping, the seriousness, the significance of that moment when God's word is placed into the hands of men in their language. And they treasure it and they hold it and they tremble at his word. They tremble at his word. It's so significant. And they treasure it. They treasure it. It says in Isaiah 66 too. It says, this is the one to whom I will look. The Lord says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit. And he who trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. I look to that person. And the word look, of course, I had to investigate that. And it actually means that God looks intently at the person who trembles at his word. God looks intently. His gaze is drawn to that person. And it, it means that he scans. It's like God's drawn to that person who trembles at his word and who takes his word seriously. God notices. He notices when you take his word seriously. As those tribes people held the package of Bibles, of holy Bibles, as God's people, as those tribes people held those Bibles for the first time, I was just imagining the significance of that moment in heaven. What was going on in God's heart in that moment as he gave his word into their hands and as they trembled at his word and as they received his word and cherished his word. See, God notices when you take his word seriously. He will build you up. He will strengthen you at your core. And he will be active in you. 
if you take his word seriously. It's a living, it's a living book. It's active, alive and active. When Samuel got his first Bible, for a few weeks afterwards, he called it his holy Bible. Where's my holy Bible? He would say, um, and we'd be going out to church. Hang on till I get my holy Bible. And we thought it was quite amusing. But you know, I've started again. I've started to refer to this as my holy Bible. It's not just the Bible, it's the holy Bible. This is no ordinary book. There's a man who I would listen to, I've heard him speak many times, who brings, he brings the word of God into the Arab <coughs> nations. And that's part of God's call in his life. And the stories he has heard or he has shared about how they receive the Holy Bible. <laughs> he miraculously many, many times the Lord has provided a way for him to get through security with these Holy Bibles. And at one stage he had arrived in a country, he doesn't really name the countries because it's dangerous, but he had arrived in a country in the Middle East and he had been apprehended and he had been told, what are these? He said to me, he said to the security guys, he said, these are holy books. This is the Torah, the Kippur, which is the Psalms in Arabic. The Angel, which is the Gospel. This is the Torah, the Kippur, the Angel. These are holy books. And the response of the, the security guys, they, they step back. Holy books. Isa, book, the book of Jesus. Isa, yes, the book of Isa. One of them, on one occasion, said... You can't take those books into this country. You can't take those books into this country. He said, I'm going to get the police. You're going to be in big trouble. This guy, there were two of them, this guy went off to call, call the police to, to get this man arrested and taken away, get, get his books taken away, his holy books. But while he was away, the other attendant said, are those, those are holy Bibles? Those are holy books? He said, yeah, they are. Can I see? Can I see? And he held it. And he opened it. And he opened it to the Gospels. He said, Asa. Asa says. He said, yeah, Asa. These are the words of Jesus. He said, where are you staying? He gave him the name of the hotel. How long will you be there for? I'll be there for one night. He says, go, go packed up the books, the Holy Bibles, and he left. And that man wanted one. He wanted the word of God for himself. He wanted the words of Asa, the words of Jesus. On one other occasion, this man, this man brought, has brought thousands of Bibles into Arab nations, and he, what he does, he puts them in plastic, clear plastic bags, and he walks around hotel lobbies where the Arab men are sitting drinking coffee. And he just walks around and he waits for people to come to him. And on one occasion, a man 
came up to him in a hotel and he said to him, I need to speak to you privately. And Tom, the man's name is Tom, he said, uh, yeah, okay, certainly. They went to the, the men's toilets and by now this man, this Arab man, is crying. <laughs> He's sobbing. He says, are those holy books? Are those holy Bibles? Tom said, yes. This is the Torah, the Kippur, this is the angel. These are the words of Isa. And the man took them. He took one and he kissed it. And he said, for 20 years I have waited for this. For 20 years I have waited for this. And he sobbed and he took it in his hands and he trembled. And he held it to his chest. He said, God has answered my prayer. And he said, here, and he offered Tom a thousand US dollars. Tom said, no, this is for you. God has sent me. See, we've forgotten that this is a holy book. Forgotten that it's a holy Bible. And I think that God wants us to come and approach his word differently. To approach his word expectantly. Expectantly. Breathe on me, breath of God. Look at the words of Asa, the words of Jesus. Let's approach it with reverence, with expectancy, with attentiveness, and with reverence. And you might think, you might think that I've totally lost the plot here now, but you know what I've done? I've taken the, I've taken the Bible app off my phone because... I want to hold the Holy Bible and I want to tremble at his word and I want to cherish it. And I want to see the words of God in front of me and the words of Jesus in front of me. And I want to make it my own and I want to treasure it. And it's my Holy Bible. And it's just not as easy to do that on the phone. When you, you know, I caught myself doing this, having a look, reading God's word on my phone and then going to check the news and then maybe going to check my emails and, and then I'll go back to God's word. No, guys. I think he wants us to tremble at his word and to come back to, to what this is. It's the Holy Bible. It's the words of God. It's no ordinary book. So to this, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. God says, take my word seriously. Treasure it. something as well that I have learnt from having a busy lifestyle <laughs> a very busy lifestyle and I've been trying to find balance for years balance does not exist <laughs> it doesn't exist but you, what you can do is you can order your life you can order your life and put first things first and you must put God's word first and prioritise it and treat it Give it the reverence, the, attentive, the attentiveness, and the, no, cherish it like it deserves. Psalm 9, it says, those who know your name will trust in you. Trust. After all, this is what the message is about, trust. They who know your name will trust in you. 
So the more you get to know God through his word, the more you can trust him, the more you walk with him, the more you can trust him. I sometimes work with people who have issues with trust. They can't trust their spouse. They can't trust people in their lives. And I, you know, they expect me to help them to trust. And I can to a degree, but I'm always careful because I can't encourage someone to trust someone who isn't trustworthy, if that makes sense. But this God of ours, he is utterly utterly trustworthy and we can trust him with the stuff that we don't understand we can trust him with the outcome of an issue that we're uncertain of (coughs) we can trust him and we find out the more the more that we get into his word and it gets into us we find out that he is utterly utterly trustworthy we find out about his character through his word you find out that he is all-powerful that he created all things. He spoke and he created. You find out that he is good and that he works out all things for the good that for those who love him. We find out that he is wisdom personified. He is wise. He is utterly competent. He's interested in us. The very hairs on our head are counted. He'll never ever leave us or forsake us. We find out that he's with us in the good times and the bad. He says, through the waters, I will be with you. In the fire, I will be with you. He helps us over and over again. It says, I will help you. I will take you by the right hand. I'm your shade at your right hand. Because he is at my right hand, it will not be shaken. We find out that underneath are the everlasting arms. We find out that he's a king, that he is a king. And we find out that he suffered and that he suffers and that he's with us in our suffering. We find out that he is the living son of God. We find out that he's the resurrection and the life. He's the light of the world. He's the creator of the universe. He's the Lord of life. He's all powerful, all knowing, ever present. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing is too difficult for him and his ways are past finding out. He is utterly trustworthy, (coughs) utterly trustworthy. And I can say that with total confidence. He's the God of peace. We see that over and over. He is a God of peace. We see it in Romans, Corinthians, Philippians, Hebrews and Thessalonians. He is the God of peace. The Lord of peace. And you know what? That is the huge benefit of trusting in him. Peace. You can have peace. I meet people all the time and they say to me, I just can't get peace. I have no peace. I wish I had peace. I'm going to tell you, you can have peace. And that is a side effect and benefit of trusting. Trusting. It says in Isaiah, as we begin to come to a close, we're going to be in Isaiah. So maybe just flick over, please, to Isaiah. Starting with Isaiah 26. Very famous. A very famous bit of scripture Isaiah 26 3 says you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind whose mind is stead on thee because they trust in you you will keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on you because they trust in you. And actually, if you go back to the original, it says you will keep him in shalom, shalom. Not just peace. Peace, peace. Perfect peace. More than just peace. You can have perfect peace in any circumstance if your mind is stead on him, if you trust in him. God wants to give his people peace. It's very evident in Isaiah. I'll show you a couple more. I'll, I'll show you a couple more instances. I'll show you what I mean. God wants to give his people peace. His peace is extremely important. In Philippians 4, chapter 6, or sorry, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, we learn that his peace is actually his peace actually guards our heart and mind. It says the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. It's protective. It guards your heart and mind. To put that another way, if you do not have this peace, your heart and mind actually could be vulnerable. To trust, when you trust someone, anyone, it feels good. You feel secure. You feel peaceful. You feel at ease. Not to trust comes at a great cost. Paranoia, anxiety, concern. God wants his people to trust him. He is utterly trustworthy. And I would go so far as to say that it is God's will for his people to have peace. Do you have this peace that he talks about? This perfect peace, this shalom, shalom. That sort of peace honours God. Because it shows that you have a God who is utterly trustworthy and that you can trust him. That sort of peace people will notice. We go back to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar noticed. He was absolutely gobsmacked by the fact that they trusted in their God. And they trusted him. No matter what the outcome, they were going to trust him. They were going to, they were going to honour him. So other people will notice if you are trusting God, if you have this peace, you can't hide it. God longs to give his people peace, but there is a choice to be made. There is a choice to be made. So I read in Isaiah 26, you will keep him in peace, peace, perfect peace. If your mind is stead on God because you trust in God. Isaiah 30, God cries out to his people. This is what the sovereign Lord, this is Isaiah 30, 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel said. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You would have none of it. You decided to do it your own way. You can almost hear the agony of God. I would, have, I would have given you quietness. I would have given you strength, quietness of spirit. I would have given you strength. You would have had peace, but you would have none of it. You decided to do it your way. In Isaiah 48, 18, Hear the agony of, of a God who wants his people to have peace, but they want to do it their own way. 
this is what the Lord says. Isaiah 48, starting at 17, actually. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, who teaches you what's best for you. He knows what's best for you. Who directs you in the way that you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands. If only you'd listened. I had peace for you. If only you had done it my way. If only you had come to God to have peace and trusted in him. Look what it says in verse 18. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. Your well-being or your righteousness like the waves of the sea. You could have had peace like a river. Imagine coming to the end of your life for no passing to be with the Lord and realising he was utterly trustworthy. I wasted all my time and energy worrying and fretting, being anxious. And I could have had peace like a river. There is a choice to be made. Psalm 56, it says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. So it's okay to be real. This is not denying. If you are afraid, it's not denying reality. Okay? If you're afraid, you acknowledge that. You pour out your heart before God. But then you trust and you decide to trust and you throw yourself on him and the feelings follow. Feelings are secondary. They will follow. You decide first of all and you hold on to the fact that your God is utterly trustworthy and then you trust. Someone said to me last week actually, I think it was last week, she said, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if table... And this was someone who's here this morning... She said to me, it would be great if Table became known as a church that suffers well. I thought that is something I wouldn't have thought of. The more I thought about it, I thought, yeah. Wouldn't it be great if Table became known as a church who suffers well? Because a church that suffers well, a people that suffers well, they have a God who is utterly trustworthy. And that's, that must be a church where they know his name, they know his character. Where they have strong roots and they have strong foundations. So imagine if this church became known as a church that suffered well. To the glory of God.